Welcome to The Silenced American, a podcast that pushes conversation about undocumented issues facing the community. This season, we're spending time with documented individuals, learning and dialoguing through what deferred action for childhood arrivals actually means for folks across the diaspora. I'm Amy Dominguez. And I'm Fabiola Madrigal. And we'll be doing our best to guide these conversations in a way that is both informative and impactful. Today, we're spending time with Andre, a person who chose to forego DACA at first because they believed it was safer to live without it due to the instability that the program had encountered since its inception. Andre is currently a teacher at an autistic learning center in Utah. He came to the United States at a young age from Bolivia. Thank you, Andre, so much for joining us. Uh, we're here in the studio with my colleague, Fabi. We've hey. got Andre here. Uh, we've got our sound engineer over here. Uh, listening to our words and cutting out all the bad things that we say. Say hi, Peter. He waved. <laughs> so, Andre, thank you so much for being in the studio yes, with us today. Of course. Um, yeah, so we wanted to launch into this interview and have you tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like for you. Yeah, so my name is Andre, and like you said, I'm from Bolivia. I am 31 years old, and yeah, I came here when I was... 12 years old so I've been here for almost 20 years um, it wasn't too difficult coming here at first because since I was young and uh, everything I was very excited but I could tell that my parents were very worried and I being a 12 year old never understood really why mm -hmm. the reasons behind it mm -hmm. like what was waiting for my future what was waiting for the future so um, yeah did your family come directly to Utah, or did you go anywhere else first? Um, well, we have family in Miami, mm -hmm. and we stayed there for about two weeks, and they were debating whether to stay in Florida or come to Utah, and we have family here in Utah as well. So we just came to Utah. So pretty much, yeah, straight to Utah. Wow. What were your ideas when you first got here? What did you think of it? Well, coming from a big city, I thought that coming to the U.S., it would be everything would be grand here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I was very disappointed when I came to Utah because it looked like <laughs> a little <laughs> tiny village with a lot of um, Americans here and they didn't have a lot of like diversity when I first came. So I was very excited when I arrived to Florida because everything was grand, it was big, it was warm, um, and they had more diversity. But I'm glad that we came to Utah instead of staying in Florida. How come? I feel like I got a better childhood here than I, what I would have had in Florida. And what was your childhood like? It was peaceful. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like just from my uh, cousins that are brown that live in uh, Florida, they would get like bullied a lot and everything. And I barely experienced any of that here in Utah. Mm -hmm. And just the crime and everything, how they, like my cousins ended up and versus me, I just feel like it was a better choice to be here. That's awesome. So... When you migrated here, did you understand a little bit of what was going on? When you were growing up, did you understand that you were undocumented? Um, I did and I didn't. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of families, what they do that are in the same circumstances, they like don't really want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. They just want to wait till the kids are like 18 to be like, kind of like, surprised, like, we never heard that you were undocumented, but like figure your life out like on your own. And I feel it would, would have been a little bit better had my family talked about it more to be better prepared of when I hit 18 and I wasn't going to be protected anymore. 
what was gonna happen. So it was a little bit of a big downer once I hit 18 and I started realizing like, oh, I can do this and this and this and this and this. Like my change, my life changed like big time once I hit 18. So when you were 18, DACA didn't exist yet? No, it didn't. What were you planning to do? You know, what were your prospects without DACA when you were starting to graduate? It was depressing because I started applying for um, like universities mm -hmm. and like I would apply, write essays and everything, but I, since I didn't have a social, I couldn't put it on. So they were just left in like my desk because mm -hmm. I couldn't send them or anything. Um, so it was depressing, like not knowing what my future was going to hold because all of my friends were getting ready to go to universities, moving out, just becoming an adult and I couldn't. Like I felt my adulthood was uh, held back due to not having DACA, not due to not having anything. Mm -hmm. Is there a moment that stands out where you realize the limitations of being undocumented? Right, like I would say probably three, four months after I graduated high school that I, my goal was like, okay, if I can go to the university, then I need to get a job. And that was also hard, not having a social and a lot of places not telling me, not saying, oh, you're undocumented, you, you, you're not getting the job. Pretty much getting a lot of like, uh, just no calls from places. And I started figuring out that it was like due to me not having a social. So I, it was, I would say that was like, like it hit me finally that I was like, oh, I'm really undocumented. I can do like X and Y. It's just, you know, imagine going through your life and then you have all these plans, you have all these goals, and then you get hit just immediately. It's like dunking your head underwater. And it's like, just kidding. Everything that you had planned for, you can't accomplish. Yeah. yeah. For me, it was, um, I was a sophomore in high school and I wanted to join the TRIO program at the University of Utah. Um, and one of the gear counselors at my school um, pulled me out to try to get me to apply. And I was like, well, do you need like to be a resident or a citizen? And she was like, yes. Um, and then I realized that I couldn't do it because you had to do that. So that was my moment. Um, and then senior year in high school, when I was applying to scholarships, all of my friends were getting them and applying. Same. And that was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, so for me personally, it was really difficult. So I kind of like can empathize with what you're saying because I experienced that as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's certain moments where you just like remember being vulnerable and being undocumented. There is a giant element of vulnerability now that you use that word because you know you're kind of just putting yourself out there hoping that something will give, right? So that's a really good word. Yeah, so given that, I mean... DACA came out a few years after you graduated. Mm -hmm. How old were you when DACA was first released? Because DACA has been, what, like eight, six years, something like that. So it's actually 24, 25. So it was exciting, like how we started. Like there was all this, like, uh, worries about it because it wasn't like really stable the program yet so I opted not to apply the first year I waited till the second year uh, when DACA was established it was a little, a little bit better there was more information out there for people mm -hmm. so I felt like it was the right moment to apply for me 
What were some of the reasons that prevented you from immediately applying? What were you afraid of? My main thing is like I just didn't want immigration to know where I was. Right. Like although, like that's the one thing I not fully understand. They know where I'm at because mm-hmm. I we overstay our visa, but at the same time they didn't. So that was my main thing. It's like it would be so easy for them. I give them all of my information. They know where I'm at, and I was like. What if they take it away in a year from now or two years from now? Like, is it really worth it to spend all that time, all that energy into it and for them to take it away like two years later? So that's that was my main thing that I was like, I don't want to have something like I don't want to have the taste of something good if they're going to take it away like right away. Like what's it's not worth it. So that's the one of the main reasons why I didn't apply right away. And there are a lot of other people that have chosen to just completely forego it or not apply or mm-hmm. not only not apply, but don't qualify. Um, Fabi, can you tell me a little bit more about some limitations that are in place for people that aren't able to qualify? Yeah. So when you apply to receive DACA, um, they do a background check. So if you've had any issues with law enforcement growing up, even if you were 16, 17, um, obviously still a child, um, that follows you through. And so when you go to apply for DACA, that limits whether you get it or not, depending on the crime, crime in quotations, that you committed. Um, So just realizing and emphasizing that there's a lot of people that did benefit from DACA, but there was also many, many people that couldn't benefit from DACA. Um, and also people like Andre that just didn't do it because there was a lot of fear um, and a lot of vulnerability, like we were talking about. When you apply for DACA, you're kind of exposing your family. You're kind of exposing yourself. Um, so I just really wanted to emphasize that there's a lot of people out there that weren't um, covered under DACA. I do also want to add, if I'm not mistaken, I think that there's a time frame, a criteria of time frame for those that can qualify for DACA. Mm -hmm. So if your birthday is a day after the deadline, you can't qualify. And I also think that that leaves out a huge chunk of people who otherwise would fit into this category but can't. Yes. So DACA has a day that from that day before everything before that date you're allowed to apply for daca if you were under 16 i believe it is um i'll look that up while you guys are talking just to make sure um so if you weren't 16 or if you arrived a day after then you did not qualify for daca and so that leaves a large part of um people that are undocumented that are still um not receiving benefits for being here right so I think it's just important to note that. Um, so just going back to Andre, I mean, you talked a little bit about fearing exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me what the reaction was like for your parents and other people that loved you. They were very happy and they pushed me like a lot to get DACA like right when it came out. But um, I, I'm the one that made the decision not to. Um, all of my family... They have some legal status of residency of citizenship, and I'm the only one that's um, that has DACA in my entire family. So everybody was very excited when it came out, and they were very optimistic. Yeah, I think that's another important thing to note. You know, there's a lot of families out there that have mixed status. So with Andre saying that he was the one in his family that didn't have status, but everyone else, as far as his siblings go, had status. There are a lot of families out there 
that are in a really similar situation. Yeah. And I have no idea how they do it because I feel and I've heard that a lot of the weight falls on them because since they're the only ones that have like the legal um, status that they're, they're able to get a job at least with a good social, then a lot of weight's being put on them to help out the family. Right. Yes, true of that. That's my position. <laughs> mm-hmm. So both of my younger siblings um, are U.S. citizens because they were born here. My sister is turning 19. My brother is 10. <laughs> and so I'm the only adult in my family that's a resident. Um, but I also grew up undocumented. So that's a big burden to bear. Yep. I can't even imagine when you're documented, you have a l- much less security than I oh, have at this point. Yeah. So um, I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Um, did you have any difficult conversations with them? And if you did, what were they like? Um, I did. They, they're mainly worried about me, like what, just pretty much what my future is going to look like, like what's going to happen. Because none of us really can tell at this moment. Like there's nothing on DACA right now that says, okay, after you've applied, you've, been, you've had DACA, you've been a recipient of DACA for 10 years, you can start applying for a residency like a pathway to citizenship. There's nothing of that. So we've had to had like, yeah, difficult talks of like what, like some of the options that would be available for me. I have family like kind of like all over the place, not just in the States, but outside of the States. So just trying to make connections here and there, like with some of my um, uncles and aunts that live in Spain, that live in Bolivia, like that could be a choice of me having to go back there. I don't want to go back there, but I have to start thinking of like what a good future could look like for me. And if they're going to remove DACA from here and if there's no way for pathway to residency, then I'm going to have to start looking elsewhere. Like, sadly, I wouldn't want to do it, but then I don't want to stay here and not have any protections whatsoever. Tell me about why you wouldn't want to do that so people understand your choice. Uh, Just having to leave in fear having to have anxiety, like I suffer from anxiety and depression. And just those things are so bad that I'm like, I wouldn't want to live a life when I'm having to live in fear all the time. Um, I'm having to worry about like my family, how my family's feeling and everything, how worried they're about me. So how my parents migrated here to the U.S. for a better life, I would also be doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. migrating to a different place for a better life as well. Because if they're not they're not willing to keep to, to allow me to have the option to make a better life for myself here in the U.S., then another country will do it, or I'm going to have to go back to the, my country of origin, which is Bolivia. So, hmm. Well, I looked that information up that we were just talking about. So it says that individuals who meet the following criteria could apply for um, DACA. If you are under 31 years of age as of June 15, 2012, and had come to the U.S. while you were under the age of 16 um, and have continuously resided in the U.S. from June 15, 2007 to the present. Um, So those were the limitations. So if you were 32, you were out of luck. Mm -hmm. And if you came when you were 17, you were out of luck. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And if, you know, you committed a crime, you were out of luck. Yeah, and when you talked about that, Fabi, you said crime, quote-unquote. And just to give our listeners a bit more perspective crimes are so tiny when you are applying for DACA it could be um, several traffic tickets it could be 
getting pulled over for drowsy driving drowsy driving you know it is so it could be that one time you smoked weed in college exactly it was illegal Mm -hmm. and they caught you Mm -hmm. of all people yeah so oh my gosh it's just criminality in accordance to like applying for daca is so frustrating right because i feel like the way that people think of crimes They'll be like, oh, well, they're like murderers or drug dealers. And it's like, no, they got pulled over (laughs) because they accidentally ran a stop sign. Or because they forgot to pay a parking ticket. Exactly. (laughs) So all of those things could limit an individual and completely impact the future of their lives, as Andre has been telling us. It's just bad luck. A lot of people think, too, that like DACA recipients are like perfect that they don't do anything, that they're always just uh, just perfect people. And it's like, we're not. We all make mistakes. And those people that, quote-unquote, committed those crimes, they are making they're making them look like like they're horrible people. Exactly. They're, mm-hmm. they're, making them look, they're making them look bad. Which they're not. We all make mistakes. And it's unrealistic expectations yep. of how a person should be. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Every citizen of the United States is not this perfect no. person. And so it sets unrealistic limits um, or unrealistic expectations of people to say you have to be perfect 100% of the time. Yeah. Right. Well, Andre, I wanted to go back in a little bit and ask you what it was like and how your life changed after you chose to apply for DACA. Um, I didn't think um, my life was going to make like a dramatic change Mm -hmm. uh, having DACA. And it kind of didn't, like right after I applied and I got my work permit and uh, my social security. But I started seeing the changes like months after I got it. Because like all this anxiety that I had, um, all this fear that I had, like slowly started going away. I started feeling a little bit better about myself that I could finally set foot on the ground and start like creating a future for myself here in Utah here in the States. Um, so that was very positive. Um, I still feel optimistic about it, but there's all these um, things that I still cannot do just having DACA. Like what? What are some of the limitations? Um, like being able to just travel. They took that away. Um, being able to travel outside of the country. I'm like, if something was to happen and I needed to leave the country which I can't, nobody's holding me back, but the one thing that holds me back is like, I can't make it back in. Right. Now, um, and just being able to apply to any job that I wanted to, I'm limited on that too, because I can't apply to any federal um, jobs, any any job that's in part of the government, I can't apply, mm-hmm. which they, I've heard they have good benefits and everything, but that's one of the bummers that I just, I'm not able to apply. Right. And the same thing with going to school. I can get any uh, student loans, but I can at least go to school right now. So it's been very positive being able to have DACA. That's good. So I remember um, you had been telling me about wanting to go back to school. And yeah, so I want to know, have you thought about it some more? Yes, uh, from last time that we talked i've been looking more into it uh mm-hmm. probably wanting to go since i'm um, working with the community with people that have uh, disabilities mm-hmm. uh, mental disabilities i've been wanting to go into um social work mm-hmm. i've been wanting to go into social work because uh, i feel that 
in that area I can help out better this community. Mm -hmm. um, so I did a little bit of research and everything, and I'm planning on starting school this fall. That's incredible. So, Congratulations. Thank you. That's exciting. So I'm excited for that. So what other kinds of changes did you see your life in your life after you applied for DACA? You said that you didn't see them until months after. Do you think that it was mostly just the weight off of like the pressure out of knowing that you don't have to live in fear or what other kinds of things did you see change? Yeah, like tying it back to uh, me working in mental health, uh, the I would say the biggest impact that it had, it was on my mental health mm -hmm. and the mental health of m all of my family. A lot of people put a lot of shame on mental health and you shouldn't be feeling that way, just get over it and this and that. And a lot of people don't think of it that it's like, somebody that has cancer you can't just tell somebody that has cancer oh be better or anything mm -hmm. and it's the same thing you know with mental health that thankfully all of my family um are citizens or residents i'm the only one that has daca so it was mainly just the weight lifted off of me and my family supporting me that way that i was less anxious i was leaving it was just weird because even just driving out in the street knowing that i had daca i felt safer like, I can't explain it, and I've talked to other people, and they were like, yeah, just a big weight was lifted off over shoulders, and that's being tied to mental health. Like, this is how a lot of immigrants that are undocumented leave their lives. Like, it's the huge impact that has on mental health. I'm pretty sure that if not being able to have, like, some legal status was causing some sort of, like, physical thing that you could tell, like, cancer or something like that, they wouldn't allow it. But because mental health, you cannot see so many people are suffering with it and there's no help for them. So I'm going back to mental health. This is a subject that I love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, while I was in college, I helped on a cardiovascular study. Yeah. And basically people that have anxiety and depression, their cardiovascular health is at risk yes. because um, your heart becomes inflamed or... Um, you have inflammatory problems because when you get anxious, your heart pumps more blood. Yes. And so because you spend more time in that phase, um, your likelihood of getting cardiovascular disease, which is one of the number one killers in our country, um, is much higher than people who don't have anxiety and depression. So if you're a DACA recipient or an undocumented person in this country and you have depression and anxiety because of the life that you're living, mm -hmm. that definitely has a health impact on you as a yeah. person. So um, I think that's just important to note, too, that there's these health implications, not just mental health. The physical health yep. is also impacted mm -hmm. by you being an undocumented person. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it actually reminds me a little bit of the episode that we recorded with Mari Fed, who um, talked a little bit about mental health and the anxiety that a deportation in her family caused for her and the trauma. You know, there's so much trauma that's associated um, being an immigrant and having a DACA status or even just having a deportation in your family. You know, there's a lot of trauma that goes behind that you know we have people that see a cop car crossing the street and they get anxiety attacks you know and these are things that other people would never consider uh, to be triggers at all mm -hmm. but all of these things feed into what daily life can be yeah 
Um, you were saying earlier that when you had DACA, you felt safer just walking outside. Uh-huh. Um, maybe th- this is a difficult question, but I just wanted to ask it to see if we um, could go there. What was going through your head when you got DACA and what was going through your head when you saw a cop like before and after DACA? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I've been profiled by cops twice. And, like, they made fun of me and everything. That's not when I was way younger. So I have, like, that fear that comes with cops. And when all of these things happened, I was undocumented. And the things that were going through my mind when I got stopped by the cops, then I was like, this is it. This is the time that I'm getting deported. Like, it's going to happen. And everything was... And a lot of people don't realize that when there's one thing in that situation that you're just obsessing over again... You could be making so many other mistakes. You could be giving the wrong information to cops and everything. So that just amplifies the anxiety that you're mm-hmm. having to deal with yep. at the moment. Right. Um, so me being undocumented, having to deal with um, those type of cops. And then after, um, just there's always that fear, even though, you know, cops, they say it's like, oh, we don't check or anything. It's like they do profile. There's always, you're always going to encounter that cop. That even if you're a citizen, just because you're brown and you look different, you don't look like us, what they would consider, I don't even know what a typical citizen looks like, but they just want to profile you. Um, there's still that fear in the brown community of like, what if I get that cop that's going to be asking me all these questions and something else could go? So it just made me feel a little bit safer that I could at least be able to say, oh, here's my license. Um, and in the license, it, it it looks different, um, but it just made me feel safer that I could be like, at least I could tell the cop I have DACA. Yeah, you have Rather some sort saying, of protection. Like, because before I, I honestly don't know what I would have said had they, if, had they asked me about my legal status. No idea. Yeah. And also Utah has a different um, driving privilege for people who are undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who are undocumented get a driving privilege card. Whereas people who are residents, citizens, or on DACA, they get a driver's license. So as soon as a cop pulls you over here in this state, they're able to tell your legal status just by your privilege card or by your license. But um, even in the DACA one, it does say limited term. Oh. So it is different for DACA re- recipients. So they can, even then, they can still look at it that you're different if they don't know they will probably investigate a little bit more why does this license look different with the DACA recipients I also want to add that there are other states that don't let DACA recipients even apply to get a driver's license or a driver's permit places like Arizona annoying ass Jan Brewer I'm talking to you um, and a lot of other places that don't allow DACA recipients to drive it's baffling you know what are you supposed to do Yeah. yeah no that's so frustrating and I think that just highlights how different your life is when you're undocumented, when you have DACA, and when you have some sort of more permanent legal status is you have phases, right? Before, like you were talking about, if you get pulled over by a cop, everything is going through your head that you're going to get deported. Mm -hmm. But even on DACA, the cop knows you're on DACA here, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm just mad about that now. Same. Yeah. Okay. Well, I also wanted to go in and talk about how you've been feeling lately. There has been so much going on with DACA. And I personally have felt that this administration has been using DACA recipients as political pawns in many ways to 
ultimately get what he wants and to get the opposition party to bend to what they want. So how is your mental health these days under this administration? Um, I've had DACA for what, like five years now. Um, so I'm kind of like over all this bullcrap that they're like willing to hold us like a carrot in front of somebody and just dangle it and be like, look, we can take it away easily. And it's so nasty how they're also trying to hold us like hostage and being like, hey, if you give us the wall, then there's path to citizenship for people that are DACA. And that's just so disgusting because I've thought about it too. And I'm like, if that really happened, if they um, get the wall and if they give, due to having the wall, they're going to give path to citizenship. I've thought about it and I don't know if I would apply or anything because that would be such a huge slap to all these other people that... Yeah are wanting to have the life that I have. Mm -hmm. My life might not be perfect, but they're craving to have, to taste a little bit of what they have. And for me to be like, oh, I don't care about all those people that I don't even know them. It's just so disgusting to me that I'm like, I don't know if I would apply for citizenship if they did it that way. And my anxiety, going back to it, has, it's pretty much stayed the same. I mean, I'm being medicated and everything, and I do feel like a lot of my anxiety, my depression, does come from being undocumented oh, yeah. for all this time. <laughs> Me too. Like, I think about it, it's like, what else has happened in my life that's been as traumatic as this? Mm -hmm. This is the only thing, being undocumented, right. that has caused it. Um, so although it's better, I know for other people are very anxious that it might be taken away, like, um, right away, like DACA, if something could happen with this uh, presidency. Mm -hmm. Um but I'm, like, willing to fight. I think it's been better for me particular that I'm, like, it's giving me more power, I'd say, now to be, like, no, they're not going to do this to me. They're not going to do it to hundreds and thousands of other people out there that are, like, just like me. So I'm, like, willing to put up a fight with all of this, like, whatever it takes. Yeah, because you've almost been there since, like, before DACA was even mm -hmm. thought about, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And then it came, and then you... Took a minute to take it in, and now you're, you know, applied and mm -hmm. you have it. And so I think that that's so much knowledge that you hold because you were there from the very beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've experienced all edges of this yeah. debate. So, you know, I just think that's really important, and I just wanted to want to thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, I have one more question. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a few questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, you were saying earlier that, so we know that you didn't have DACA initially. Yeah. How long did it take before you felt comfortable or confident enough to apply for it? And one what year. was that like? It was one year. I gave myself a whole year to see what was going to happen with all the other people that had DACA for that first year. So I was, I follow a bunch of uh, things on Facebook. I was always up to date on the news and everything about DACA, like how everything was running, how their lives were being changed. Um, if there were like any other little things that was going on. Uh, so after the year, I decided to apply because I was like, oh, it seems to be a really stable program. Um, people are really benefiting from it. So I decided to apply after the year. I also want to just add and say, I think in that year, you were most likely weighing, you know, whether or not it would be worth it to apply, yes, right? That, yeah. And so what's so fascinating and so upsetting is that, so in that year, you were taking all of this time to try to debate on whether or not it was worth it to apply. And here we are, you know, in a place where DACA is not stable, 
where I imagine that your fears when you were trying to decide are not necessarily completely becoming realized, but are slowly manifesting in the fact that they're using this group of people to try to push legislation that goes against the very core of immigrants. Yeah. Um, with all of that, it's like how they're trying to use us as a pawn for all of this. Um, I feel like a lot of people, talking with a lot of people, they, like having DACA, there's a lot of like limitations that we have and a lot of restrictions. And if we all know that if we commit like some sort of crime or anything, that's taken away right away. So just how they there are talks that they could take it away just talking with a lot of recipients that have daca we're like we're gonna put up a fight if they just take it away with us not doing nothing right like we are um, conforming to everything that they're asking of us applying every two years um and paying for it it's not cheap yeah you have to and they keep increasing it almost every two years or every year Mm -hmm. Uh, little by little but now it's like every two years you have to give 500 to apply and that some people they don't have the money to apply. exactly so there's all, all these other places that are willing to um collect all this funds so they can give it away to all these people that don't have the money to apply for daca all right yeah and also given the state of our nation right now because daca is in the court system if you've not reapplied and you lost your daca status you can't reapply um, so there's it, that's changing by the day, right? Yep. So if um, it's rolled in one favor, you have one option. If it's rolled in the other favor, you have the other option. So um, I know a lot of the people that are my friends have been watching that very closely and renewing their DACA way before it's even expired, oh, just yes. to make sure that they continue to have that status. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, and that's a point that I do wanted to talk about, and I completely forgot about it, so thank you. Um, yeah, with that, it's, it's a joke because before when DACA started, um, when they came out with all of these things and, you know, they said every two years, you need to apply every two years. And there were some restrictions of, I feel it was 180 days. You couldn't apply before you couldn't reapply before certain amount of dates and you couldn't reapply after a certain amount of dates so you only had a window of like two months i believe to apply and people were okay with it having to pay every two years they at the time it was 465 i believe and they were okay with it but now since they're playing with daca so much and people don't they don't it's like you said it's in the courts and we don't know when daca's just going to be taken away and now there has been a lot of people that they've been applying reapplying every year now instead of two years so instead of having to come up with uh, 500 every two years they're having to come up with 500 every year and although me i like i have to do it if i don't want to lose it i'm gonna have to do it i just been keeping up with the news like a lot like every day and just waiting for that and having to save money and i do have a savings account just for daca that i'm like if i hear about it that they might take it away like in a week from today then I'm going to go home. Like if they said it today, I would go home right now and I would start applying and I would send it. But it hasn't been. Like my two years will come up at the end of this year. So that mm-hmm. means I would have to be reapplying just a year after it's been. But that's what we have to do now because the government sucks right now. So 
Yeah. And currently, if you want to get updates on that, United We Dream always posts about um, DACA information and whether, um, you know, different courts have ruled on it. Um, I know the Supreme Court is supposed to take up a DACA case. And my understanding is they're not doing that until the remainder of this year, um, until the end of the year. So I'll look that information up, too, and I'll say it before we end this podcast, just so everybody knows. Um, also, another thing is you were talking about not having the ability to travel outside of the U.S. while on DACA. Mm-hmm. Um, so originally, um, DACA recipients were allowed to have advanced parole. And let me get that up. So advanced parole is. Sorry. So advanced parole is a permit for non-U.S. national who does not have a valid immigrant visa to re-enter the United States after traveling abroad. Such persons include those who have applied to adjust their status to that of permanent resident or to change their non-immigrant status. So basically what that did is it allowed DACA recipients to travel outside of the U.S. and enter legally into the U.S. after they traveled. So it allowed DACA recipients to travel abroad and be able to study abroad and then re-enter the U.S., Um, That is super important because if you have a legal entry to the U.S., your immigration likelihood of getting residency increases a ton because you have a legal entry. So, for example, my parents, I can't legalize them because they don't have a legal entry into the United States. But had they had a legal entry, then I can request my parents um, and sponsor them to become legal residents. So advanced parole actually supported a lot of people who then got married to be able to leave the U.S., re-enter, and stay here as they legalized to a permanent resident. So I know friends that have done that. I was about to say, we have a friend in our friend group that was able to do that. And not only did that allow them to re-enter, quote-unquote, legally, but it also allowed them to go and visit their family who they hadn't seen in several years, you know, most often since you've left that country of origin so it has advanced parole served many purposes you know and it's it's devastating that it's not an option yes and that was taken away by this administration just to remind us why we don't like them and with that even you couldn't just like leave the country for like leisure um reasons it was due to humanitarian reasons so Mm -hmm. there was a family death it was an immediate family right that mm-hmm. you could go see them and mm-hmm. re-enter the U.S. legally. Mm-hmm. And it was the, uh, it was only three things. And the other one was for education. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to seek education outside of the U.S., you could. Or if, like, it was a requirement to maybe go to some other place, you could do that. And the other one, so it was for, oh, the other one was for work. If there was a possibility to work with a company that was here in the U.S. to leave the country, for work reasons, those were the only three reasons that you could leave the country. But now that option has been taken away from all of us. So right now, there's no option for somebody that has DACA to leave the country. You can, but you're not going to be able to return. Yeah. (laughs) So if you marry a DACA recipient and they entered, quote unquote, illegally into the country, Mm -hmm. um, if they apply uh, for their spouse to be legalized, they will have to leave the country and wait and ask for a pardon outside of the U.S. to be able to re-enter. Um, given that before they could leave, enter legally with advanced parole, um, and then legalize here in the United States. So it makes a huge difference because oh, yeah. because pardons could take years to be accepted. And so 
separation of families is not just at the U.S. border. It's everywhere. Oh, yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that you would like to see have happen with DACA? Andre, what are some things that you would love to see happen with this program and for the many people that are recipients of it? I would love it if there wouldn't be any more like of those restrictions that we read in um, like before of the being 30 months of age and 16 mm -hmm. or something. It did make sense at that time, probably when DACA came out, but I and probably it made sense for like maybe a year or something. But now it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, because to me, it's like, how is it fair that uh, right now there's like a kid that's migrating that's a nine year old right. that has no say on where their family's going? Their right. parents migrate, he gets overstay, and his life could be ruined mm -hmm. because he doesn't have any legal status or anything. So I would love for DACA to eventually become that it's it just covers all of these minorities that have no say, like they had no say into coming into this country. So why not? give them some sort of protection. Like we're not asking to be become citizens like right away, but to be able to walk down the street and not f be in fear of like, oh, today might be the day that I'm getting deported if something, God forbid, something horrible was to happen right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love for it, uh, for that to happen. I would also like it for all the people that have DACA at this moment to eventually have some sort of pathway to citizenship mm -hmm. without any sort of conditions from the government of saying if we get the wall, then DACA recipients will get a pathway to citizenship right. or anything of that matter mm -hmm. that will um, that will like not be good for uh, other minorities out there. Right. Yep. And I looked that information up about the Supreme Court. So it says that um, they denied to hear any cases on DACA right now. So this session, um, the earliest if they take it on would be in October and the decision would be in 2020. So right now, That's DACA... Awesome. Yeah, DACA recipients are just in limbo, mm -hmm. and it, you know, we That's don't have a permanent solution. Crazy, though, that, like, mm -hmm. me being with DACA, I'm, like, excited about it, and it's like, you shouldn't, though. It's not right that it's in limbo. Right. But that's how we have to live, like, day by day, not knowing what's going to happen with us. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think something else that, I mean, I personally would love to see happen with DACA, and maybe it's not necessarily DACA because it's... It would be, I would like for DACA to extend to protection for the parents that were able to bring their children here, right? And for a while, that program was something that was being talked about. I think it was called DAPA, right, Fabi? Yeah, DAPA was, you know, it was a presidential order um, by President Obama, but it was quickly stopped in the courts um, by opposing groups. Yeah, so, I mean, if there would be any possibility for that to be tied to DACA as well because I think I think a lot of parents you know get flack and even today we're seeing a lot of people come back at parents migrating in the caravan being like well how could you bring your children and blah blah it's a dangerous journey and people don't stop to consider what factors made the parents like on no parent is like oh this is going to be dangerous like let me yeah. take my kids you know they're they're obviously thinking about that mm -hmm. so anyway i guess what i'm trying to say is i think the parents get a lot of flack as well and if there was a way that parents could be coordinated um with the program so that they could get some status as well i mean that yes. would only help right I agree. so another question that i wanted to ask you andre is you talked a little bit about what you would like to see have happen with daca this might be like a really depressing question but do you think that what you would like to see come from daca will ever happen 
Um, oof. that's I'd say 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this administration, with the Trump administration, no, it's not gonna, it's not going to happen. And if it is going to happen, they're gonna put a bunch of restrictions. Like it's just gonna be a mess. So as far as this Trump administration goes, it, I no, I'd say it won't happen. But if a new president comes, who knows? Then maybe people can start being hopeful again. I mean, election season's coming up, so we're going to hear talk vote. about this all the time. All oh, the yeah. people that can vote should vote. Yeah. Um, I just want to clarify for everybody listening to this that we are not experts on this subject. And so given um, the information we have, we can only pass along what we understand. And it just goes to show how complicated and convoluted it is to gather information for DACA recipients. Um, so I just want to clarify that. Please meet with an attorney if you have specific questions about your case. We're not legal experts, and I right. just need to clarify that. Right. And, of course, like things are always changing and updating. Like Andre has been saying, he's consistently listening to the news, looking for things that change. So what we say or what we have said in past episodes if you're listening to it at a future time, might not even be relevant anymore, right? Because things are consistently changing. Um, But anyway, so going back, Andre, what are some of your long-term goals? Where do you see yourself in five years if everything goes well? Who is the Andre of the future? I see you kicking butt, but you go. All of that. To be honest, no idea. Like I, due to my depression, anxiety, I don't like to see myself like, what will happen mm-hmm. i just want to stay hopeful of things will become better that's real that's, that's real. my main thing because like i said day by day this daca ordeal is changing that i just have no idea where i'm gonna be in five years i would love to say i will be done with school but who knows i don't want to set myself goals of being like five years i can do this when that might take me 15 years to accomplish it that's real so just my goal is that little by little, day by day, um, week by week, week to um, make myself just a better human being. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. I'm like, this is like, Andre, you're so real. vulnerable. Can with we, us. can we yeah. like clap or snap? Like because that was, that was real. So Andre, I'm like over it's just here that. crying. And I feel like a lot of DACA recipients are the same way. We're like, we can make goals, we can look into the future. Right. When our future is very unstable at the moment. So, mm-hmm. and that's really hard, right? Because mm-hmm. you're trying to plan, you want to do all of these things because you have hopes and dreams like anybody else. And so, to be able to recognize that a lot of that just depends on how things go at DACA. And I just really appreciate how vulnerable you were with us today because yes, that's all I can think of is how vulnerable. DACA recipients are to everything that's going on, but also undocumented folks, right? How vulnerable they are given all of the obstacles that they face. So. Not only that, but Fabi, but also how willing the people that have been on this show have been to share their stories. You know, going through this and sharing your experiences, we understand that that's not easy. You know, you're reliving a lot of trauma yeah. um, that you're working to get past. So, I know that so many people that have DACA are so willing to share their stories because they want other people to understand what it has been like, you know? So just I so much appreciation for the immigrant, the undocu, the DACA community, so much love and so much appreciation. And just before we close out, unless Fabi has any other questions, what advice would you share with other undocumented LGBTQIA folks like yourself, Andre? Um, I'd say stay informed. Information's power. I, before I had DACA or anything, um, 
wasn't involved into politics or anything. I was just like, oh, what's one boy's going to do or anything? But as I've gotten older, as I've had like DACA for six years now, um, information's power. Um, if you get involved, even though DACA recipients can vote, you can at least influence your mom that could be a citizen. You could influence the your um, white coworker that might not know very well informed. Just giving out this information to people that might not know what it's like to be either an immigrant, um, just to be a minority. People need to be informed, um, and in masses, there's power. So if we can make like a change within ourselves, we can help some someone else make that change. For <sighs> so real. I'm gonna clap again. <laughs> Thank you, Andre. Thank you so much. Well, to close out, uh, this was our episode for. Um, limitations on DACA, just a, uh, a more in-depth discussion on limitations and what it has been like for people that chose to uh, delay their application. Andre, thank you so much again for yes, being here with us today. Me. Do you yes, want to give your information of where people can find you or? Are you yeah. on Twitter? Are you on the Instagram? <laughs> yes, I'm on Instagram um, at Dreover um, in Facebook, Andre Hanover. Yes. yes. Follow him. Okay, everyone. Follow, follow yes. Andre. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for of being course. with us. Thanks, thank thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Silenced American. Listen to future episodes to hear about other impacts DACA has in this season. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. If you'd like to donate to helping undocumented community members in Utah, visit our website at thesilencedamerican.com and click the donate button. Thank you to 90.9 FM KRCL Community Radio for sharing their studio with us. And shout out to our audio producer, Peter Lara. Till next time.